Epic tales of mystery and magic. To accounts of battle and empire. From the verses of ancient poets. To the masterpieces of our times. A light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light. On today's A Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Ling. Today, Ma Ling narrates the final part of the 14th chapter titled The Emperor's Birthday. In this part, we get a glimpse into life behind the curtain and learn how Cixi viewed herself as a girl, a woman, a concubine, and a seemingly almighty ruler. A story told in her own words is personal and sad. This makes it easier for readers to empathize with a woman knowing Chinese history as power-hungry, indomitable, cruel, selfish, and inhuman. It's a rare chance for readers to see another side of Cixi. One day, Her Majesty asked me, "What kind of medicine does a foreign doctor usually give in case of a fever? I have heard that they make you take all kinds of pills. This must be very dangerous, as you never know what they are made of." Here in China, all medicines are made from roots, and I can always find out whether I am receiving the right medicine, as I have a book, which explains what each different medicine is for. Another thing I have heard is that foreign doctors generally operate on you with a knife, while we cure the same sickness by means of our medicine. Li Lingyin told me that one of our little eunuchs. Had a boil on his wrist, and someone advised him to go to the hospital. Of course, they didn't know what they would do, and the foreign doctor there opened the boil with a knife, which frightened the child very much. I was very much surprised when I heard he was all right again in a couple of days. Continuing, Her Majesty said. A year ago, one of the foreign ladies came to the palace, and hearing me cough a lot, gave me some black pills and told me to swallow them. I did not like to offend her, so I took the pills and told her I would take them by and by. However, I was afraid to take them and threw them away. Of course, I answered that I didn't know much about medicines. To which she replied that she had seen me. Take foreign medicines whenever I was not feeling well. She then said, "Of course, I know there are people in Peking who do take、um, the medicines given them by foreign doctors, and even some of my own relatives patronize these foreigners. Also, they try not to let me know, but、uh, I do know for all that. In any case, if they choose to kill themselves by taking these things, it is none of my business." And that is the reason why, when they are sick, I never send my own doctors to attend them. When Her Majesty had completely recovered from her illness, she used to go out on the lake a great deal, sometimes in an open boat, and at other times 
in a steam launch. She always appeared to enjoy this kind of thing. For some reason or other, she always insisted on taking the west side of the lake, which was very shallow, and invariably the launch would get stuck fast in the mud, which seemed to afford Her Majesty great enjoyment. She simply loved to feel the launch strike the bottom. The open boats would then come alongside and we would have to get out of the launch and enter the boats and proceed to the top of the nearest hill to watch the efforts of the eunuchs trying to refloat the launch. It was a characteristic of Her Majesty to experience a keen sense of enjoyment at the troubles of other people. The eunuchs knew this quite well, and whenever opportunity offered, they would do something which they thought would amuse Her Majesty. So long as it was nothing of a serious nature, Her Majesty would always overlook it, but in case it proved serious or was carelessness, she would always order them to be severely punished. Thus, it was very hard to tell just what to do in order to please her. Another of Her Majesty's peculiarities was inquisitiveness, for example. As I have stated before, it was the custom for Her Majesty to have sweet meats brought to her before every meal, and after she had finished with them, the remainder were distributed among the court ladies. Whenever it happened that we were very busy, we did not bother with the sweet meats at all, which Her Majesty very soon found out. One day, after she had finished dining, she came and looked through the window to see what we were doing and saw some of the eunuchs eating the sweet meats which she had given to us. She did not say anything, but simply ordered that the sweet meats should be brought back again making us believe that she wanted some more herself. I knew that there was something wrong, as she never ordered them back before. When she saw what was left of them, she asked who had been eating so many, as they were nearly all finished. But she got no reply. We were all too scared. However, after thinking it over, I came to the conclusion that it would be best to tell her the truth, for I was quite certain that she knew anyhow, so I told her that we had all been very busy and had forgotten all about the sweet meats, and that the eunuchs had come and taken them themselves, and I added that this was not the first time they had done so. I was rather glad that she had given me this opportunity to report the eunuchs, for Her Majesty replied that if she intended the eunuchs to have sweetmeats, she herself could give them some, but thought it a lack of appreciation on our part, not eating them ourselves after she had been so kind as to provide them for us. She turned to me and said, I'm glad that you have told the truth as I saw myself what was happening. She gave orders that the offending eunuchs should each have three-month wages deducted as a punishment. But of course, I knew very well they didn't mind that, as they were making many times the amount of their salary in other ways. On my return to the sitting room, one of the court ladies said, You should not have told Her Majesty about the eunuchs. They are sure to revenge themselves in some way. 
I asked how they could possibly injure me in any way, as they were only servants. But she told me that they would find some underhand way in which to get even with me, this being their general custom. Of course, I knew the eunuchs were a bad lot, but could not see what cause they had to be against me in any way. I knew they dare not say anything against me to Her Majesty, so I forgot all about the matter. I found out afterwards that one of the tricks they used to play on any of the court ladies who offended them was to try and prejudice Her Majesty against us. For instance, if Her Majesty told one of the eunuchs that a certain thing should be done, instead of telling me what Her Majesty wanted, the eunuch would go off to one of the other ladies and tell her. In this way, Her Majesty would get the impression that I was too lazy to wait upon her myself. And of course, the other lady would get all the credit. Although Her Majesty was very kind to me, also the young empress, it was very hard to get along with eunuchs, and it was not good policy to offend them in any way. They regarded themselves as being exclusively the servants of Her Majesty, the Empress Dowager, and refused to take instructions from anybody else. Consequently, they were often very rude to the other ladies of the court, not even accepting the young Empress. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. Everything proceeded as usual until the eighth moon, when the emperor was to sacrifice at the temple of the sun. On this occasion, the emperor wore a red robe. About this time, Mrs. Conger asked for a private audience, as she wanted to see Her Majesty and at the same time see how the portrait was progressing. Her Majesty replied that she would receive her and gave orders accordingly. At this private audience, Mrs. Conger brought into the court two of her relatives to be presented to Her Majesty, besides Miss Kemble and a missionary lady. As it was a private audience, the guests were conducted to Her Majesty's private palace. They were received in the hall, which was being used as a studio for this lady artist, although Her Majesty was out of patience with the portrait painting and talked to us a great deal about it. Yet when she saw Mrs. Conger and the others, she was extremely polite and told them that the portrait was going to be a masterpiece. She was in an unusually good humor that day and told me to give orders to the eunuchs to open all the buildings and show them to her guests. Her Majesty led the way from one room to another and showed them her curios in the different rooms until she came to rest in one of the bedrooms when she ordered chairs to be brought in for the guests. There were many chairs in this room, but they were really small thrones of Her Majesty's, although they looked like any ordinary chairs. The custom is that 
no matter what kind of a chair it may be, as soon as she uses it, it is at once called her throne and no one is allowed to sit on it thereafter unless the order is given by her. During the time the eunuchs were bringing in the chairs kept purposely for foreigners to use, one of the ladies of the party made a mistake and sat upon one of Her Majesty's thrones. I noticed her at once, and before I had a chance to warn her, Her Majesty made a sign of annoyance to me. I went to this lady at once and told her I wanted to show her something, and naturally she was obliged to get up. The trouble was this, although Her Majesty felt that no one had the right to sit upon her throne, she expected me to get this lady off the chair and at the same time not to tell her the reason why. While I was busy interpreting for her, she said in an undertone, There she is again, sitting on my chair. We had better leave this room. After this, the ladies were conducted to the refreshment room, and when they had partaken of lunch, bade Her Majesty goodbye, leaving Miss Carl with us. As usual, we reported to her that we had seen the guests safely off. She said to me, That was a funny lady. First she sat upon my throne, and then upon my bed. Perhaps she does not know what a throne is when she sees one, and yet foreigners laugh at us. I'm sure that our manners are far superior to theirs. Another thing, did you notice that Mrs. Conger handed a parcel to Miss Carr out in the courtyard when she came in? I replied that I had noticed her passing something like a parcel, but could not tell what the parcel contained. She thereupon told me to go and ask Miss Carr what it was. At that time, I had received so many peculiar orders from Her Majesty that I was being to get accustomed to them and used my own discretion in carrying out her instructions. Therefore, I did not ask Miss Carroll, but set about finding out for myself. However, when I began to look around for the parcel, it had mysteriously disappeared, and I could not find the thing anywhere. This naturally worried me, knowing, as I did, that Her Majesty liked her instructions carried out quickly. While I was searching, one of the eunuchs came in and told me that Her Majesty wanted to see me, and of course I had to go to her. I had not been able to ask Miss Carl about the parcel as she was asleep, but would do so immediately she got up. Her Majesty said, I don't want Miss Cow to think I have told you to ask what the parcel contains. Otherwise, she might think I'm suspicious of what is going on. So you must manage to get the information somehow without mentioning the matter. You are clever enough to do that much. Shortly afterwards, while I was walking along with Miss Cow to Her Majesty's palace to proceed with the portrait, I noticed that she was carrying the parcel in question, which was a great relief to me, I can assure you. On arrival at the palace, Miss Carl said to me, You need no trouble to pose at present, as it is rather dark, and I can be painting the throne. You can look through this magazine, if you like, to pass the time away. 
So I opened up the parcel, which proved to contain nothing more than an ordinary American monthly magazine. After glancing through the book, I made an excuse to hurry away and inform Her Majesty. However, she had already gone out for her usual trip on the lake, so I took my chair and followed. When I reached the lake, Her Majesty, who had seen me, sent a small boat, and I was rowed out to the launch. Before I could get a chance to speak, Her Majesty said with a smile, I know all about it. It was a book, and Miss Cow handed it to you to read. I was very much disappointed that I had had my journey for nothing. I knew that the eunuchs would report it to Her Majesty at the first opportunity, but I hardly expected they would have done so already. Her Majesty was now quite satisfied. And simply asked whether Miss Carl suspected that she had inquired about the matter. As I was about to return to Miss Carl, Her Majesty called me and said, "There's one thing I want to tell you, and that is, whenever any foreign ladies are visiting the palace, always keep close to the emperor, so that in the event of their speaking to him, you can interpret." I answered. That so far, whenever any foreigners were present, I was present also, and did not think that anybody had held any conversation with the emperor whatsoever. She explained that her reason for mentioning this was that she wanted me to be just as courteous to the emperor as I was to herself, and I was to place myself entirely. At his disposal, whenever visitors were present. Of course, I knew very well that this was not the true reason at all, but that she wanted to take every precaution to preclude the possibility of foreigners influencing the emperor in matters of reform, etc. And that was from the fourteenth chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Thurlane and narrated by Manlane. Join us next time on Light on Literature for the fifteenth chapter.
ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people.